We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to take a break from previewing the Knicks' upcoming matchups. If you would like a full preview of the Charlotte Hornets, who uh, will have Miles Bridges back, so there is, if we wanted to, we could talk about that. Uh, I don't want to, and we just played the Hornets a week ago. So if you want to... A preview of the Hornets. I did had a good conversation with Richie Randall last week. If you haven't listened to it, I want to say ninety five percent of that conversation is still pretty evergreen and applicable to this game. So head on over to the podcast feed. Just refresh it. About six days. Uh, it's with Richie Randall of the Buzzbeat Podcast. Instead, as I mentioned on the last pregame pod, that what I'm going to do when the Knicks play an opponent twice in a span of a couple days or in a span of a week in this case is I'm going to try and get someone to talk about the NBA at large and for the first instance of this occasion I decided I wanted to go get my buddy Dan Favalli of Bleach Report he's also the host of an outstanding NBA podcast known as Hardwood Knocks I think you'll enjoy anything Dan Favalli puts out there even his Bleacher Report articles that want to trade your favorite player or uh uh, fire your least favorite head coach. <laughs> I have no idea where Dibs falls in line uh, at this point, but um, Dan's great and he's a good friend and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So here is my conversation around the NBA with Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report and Hardwood Knox. Enjoy. Dan, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. Thank you so much for having me, Claudio. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good and I'll take some people a little behind the scenes that this is your... Uh, game five in Utah game uh, podcast because uh, I'm I'm appreciative. Dan is a little under the weather today, and he still made time to talk Knicks and to talk about the NBA with me. So I, I always appreciate someone that goes that extra mile uh, to come on this podcast. Um, I want to talk about the league at large, and I'll save we'll, we'll save Knicks talks for the end. Um, and just a very simple question to start. So eleven games, just about for every team. What's one early trend that surprised you in a good way? The Rockets being good. Yeah, I know. I know that they acquired some t- like solid talent in Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Fleet over the offseason, even Jeff Green. I just didn't trust 
that they would again they're nine games into the season so these, right. these are all the caveats apply but <laughs> they have coalesced into like this actual force and i really respect what they did offensively after like the first game or two it just became clear oh no things need to run through and for alperin shangun they've made that switch and they haven't looked back i think fred van fleet the efficiency inside the arc is all over the place. The attention he commands just open things up for everybody. The connection he has with Alperen Shangun is already awesome. I think Shangun has probably been one of the 10 most entertaining players to watch this year. Not best players, but just entertaining where it's, what is this guy going to do next? And part of that is because you don't fully understand it because he wasn't playing enough in seasons past. Um, and even just there, yeah, there are some things that won't sustain. Opponents are shooting poorly from three, like really poorly, I believe. Dylan Brooks has not missed a three this season, apparently. But there's a real difference in the style they're playing where Dylan Brooks is no longer ta- taking these junky, janky, off-the-dribble jumpers. Um, they Between Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks, um, Amen Thompson, even when he was healthy, getting Tari Eason back, some of the minutes Jay Sean Tate has given you, uh, even Jabari Smith Jr., there's been real, like, Defensive cohesion there for them. Jeff Green has provided a steady and presence off the bench. Jalen Green, rough beginning. He's really starting to level off, though, and they've run some units. Or I should frame it this way. When you watch them, they're more inclined to have Jalen Green run his independent units from Shangun than Fred Van Fleet, where they've decided FEV is going to be tethered to to Shangun, and we're going to let Jalen Green kind of be more independent in the, the reserve heavier units. A lot of those units are actually playing pretty well. And so mm. they've been one of the most entertaining teams for me this year. And I will add, and you included this in your notes, the Timberwolves defense is for real. And it's just entirely unexpected. Even if you thought Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards and Jade McDaniels were going to be this good. I've never seen Nas Reed defend better. He used to just be ultra switchable. And now he's like, oh, he's a backline stopper as well. And Carl Anthony Towns, still very slow footed, can still get caught, you know, in nowheresville in space. He's been good defensively too. And so that's a team where, they can kind of figure out their offense, get their three-point volume up a little bit, accuracy up a little bit, and that comes down to Cat. They might be like the second or third best team in the West. They just, they, they Loki just recreated the Jazz, right? Except Anthony Edwards is better than Donovan Mitchell, and Cat bigger is ob- well bigger, and and Cat's obviously better offensively than Bogey or whatever for uh, Torian Prince or whoever they used to have in in Utah, right? Right. I think the bigger difference, too, is that Utah and this is why I could never understand jazz fans and even some national fans is growing disdain for Royce O'Neal when he was at the end of his term. It's like, oh, he's cooked defensively. And it's no, he's not cooked defensively. It's that he's not Jaden McDaniels who will literally erase anyone you want him to. And that is the bigger difference of and of course, they're playing dual bigs, which isn't something Utah did. Like they got away from that eventually. And so having just so many I mean, when you look at their starting five right now, I'd say Cat is probably still below average defender. But if he's your worst defender, this version of him right now, you have four above average defenders, even including Mike Conley, who's like older, but is just super smart. And so they're, they've proven to be a force already. They gave the Nuggets a run for their money um, to open the playoffs last year. And we saw they really rankled Denver with the way they're like, well, Cat, you guard Jokic, and then we're going to have you, Rudy, clean up stuff behind you. There's not really another team right now that can do that. And so... You know, I, if you're Knicks fans, I get why well, you might not be super interested in the Timberwolves, but that's like those are one of the teams that they could really pop where we're talking about them in the vein of, oh, did they just win two playoff series? <laughs> so it's funny you say our Knicks fans not interested in the Timberwolves. Well, they've, co- they've come up a ton because of the the cat of it all. And like we'll get to Knicks thoughts later and how internal growth might just make superstar talk go away completely. 
but like Cat is always going to be on the Knicks radar and seeing the the growth of Nas Reed and seeing how much better the Timberwolves are defensively specifically with Reed on the floor for Cat and going with the Gobert uh, Nas Reed lineups um that that stood out. I will say the as far as the Rockets are concerned I so how sustainable do you think that is? You mentioned the the three point luck that they're getting, and I, whether they're going to be ninth in offense and third in defense, I don't think so. But I mean, I have their over for a prediction this season. I thought they would more than thirty one games. This I hit is that tr- under. I so hit that under. I also have them <laughs> finishing twelfth in the conference. I figure this is like a thirty three win team. But it, it, are we now readjusting? And this is like closer to forty. Mm, I want to say yes, but the things to kind of look are Fred Van Fleet's offense, his shooting specifically might normalize a little bit inside the arc, but like what happens with Shangun playing this role mm-hmm. over a more extended period of time, something he hasn't done. Um, what happens when Amen Thompson comes back to where it's, he's been a part of some really good defensive units, but he's a rookie. So are you going to get into a dilemma where you want to get him run, but you're so much worse off on the floor. You kind of have to decide is his development coming at the expense of wins. There's also going to be a point where the Rockets his own, three-pointers are going to stop falling. And is that going to embolden Dylan Brooks to take more off the dribble looks once his three-pointer stops falling? I don't think that... I'd be shocked if they finished fourth in the West. That would be even right now. But I do think we need to recalibrate. And I think I said this leading into the offseason, the only teams I was sure... Or leading into the regular season, the only teams in the West I was positive were going to be worse than the Rockets were the Blazers. And I said, maybe the Spurs. And now it's, okay... Well, it's definitely the Blazers. It's definitely the Spurs. Now it's time to start talking about the Jazz and the Pelicans in that same conversation. If you're, you know, if you're not a believer in whatever the Clippers are doing, I understand. So you could throw them in there too. So let's, I need you to mention an offense that you either are excited by or the early trend because there's the Dallas offense. There's obviously the Indiana offense, the Hawks, like the Knicks just saw it the other night. They've seen it twice this year where they've really had to outscore the Hawks. So which offense is standing out to you the most? I mean, the, the Rockets are still fun to watch on offense. I mean, the Pacers are just, they are the best show on offense in basketball right now. There is my, the best way I can describe it is they are accessible to everyone who likes basketball. You will be entertained, but you cannot multitask when you watch them, because if you put your head down to tweet something or look at something, there's a chance that Tyrese Halliburton has just done something else where it's like, they are going to run off makes, they're going to run off misses. They're going to run off steals and all the different things Tyrese Halliburton is doing. I think Caitlin Cooper was talking about this a couple days ago. Um, they even have him do more off the ball. And so it's like, oh my God, you got to defend this guy off the ball now too. In addition to him kind of flicking up these off the dribble looks, these tough angled layups, the way he throws these lobs, these hit aheads. It's just, it's nonstop. And they are so uninhibited when it comes to some of the lineups they're running. And it's been a joy to see Obi Toppin where it's transition, whatever. Like he can do some stuff there. He's probably underachieved. You watch them in the half court. The dude is just never not moving. moving. It's like, yeah. it's not, it's, he's a pinball is what he's become. And it's so cool to see. And the Pacers have the ability to run their offense that way and open up the floor for him in a way that the Knicks did not. And he also doesn't have a, a two-time all NBA power forward in front of him, which also helps. Um, they're just fun. I don't know if they're going to be caps lock good because the defense is like the defensive issues are real. They like to play small teams will hunt Halliburton and like aside from Bruce Brown and, it depends on how much you play Andrew Nemhard, And of course you have Miles Turner there. It feels like they need a, a sturdier combo wing to really bring that all together. But it's watching the Pacers counts as cardio. Like it's just, <laughs> it's that exhilarating. I, I, 
I hate it because of the Nick Pace rivalry that still exists to me, at least. And maybe this <laughs> rejuvenates it. Um, listen, I have my rivalries that I hold on to. It came back last year when the Knicks played the Heat in the playoffs, and I got to relive some of the the late '90s series. But you know, we'll see if we get like a, a four-five or you know, who knows where both of these teams end up in the future. I've been reluctant to jump on the Pacers. Uh, not bandwagon, but the the show uh, before the season. I had them sixth in my predictions. I had them finishing sixth, and you might then have the, higher than me. Then so the <laughs> here's the, here's the problem though. The day before we released our predictions, I got spooked and was like, you know what? That's oh. a young team, and I pushed them to eighth, and I switched them with Atlanta. And from what I've seen from Atlanta this year. And then what I've seen from the pace is like, ah, if I'd stuck with that, I'd look so much smarter, which like whatever, whatever that means. But I I'm glad the offense is what I thought it would be. And it, like you said, it's a really fun league pass team, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit. And look, the OB of it all. Um, I hate when it becomes, especially when Randall was struggling in the beginning and it was like, see, we could have had OB. It's like, yeah, but we don't have Halliburton. So I don't know if it was ever going to matter. It's my, my take when the trade happened was like, he's going to look great there and the Knicks will probably be fine, you know? And I think that's what has happened. And I think it's really cool that he can look great there and the Knicks are kind of fine without him. I think there should be a mutual appreciation for the situations where it's just like, but there's no world. There's no world for mutual nuance. I think if you're going to be frustrated by anything, you could say that they maybe held on to Obi Toppin for too long. It would have been better for them just to make the decision to move him sooner because of the compensation they got back. But it's well, it's yes, but the only reason like he didn't show out enough in New York because the minutes just weren't there because you have Julius Randle, who's a very good basketball player in front of him. And so you needed, you also based off what the Knicks were doing kind of needed something different out of the players you were bringing off the bench than Obi Toppin. And so when there was a higher mystique around him, like they probably should have been a little bit more, and this is tough because of knowing how Julius Randle played, but like after his second year is probably when they should have been a little bit more open to like seeing how much better would the compensation have been in that moment. So two counterpoints. One, they tried to trade him for Donovan Mitchell. So it's not like they didn't try to trade him. They just there's a, the deal there's a difference there. between including him in a star package and then sending him to Indiana for seconds, though. You're right. But the when did they finally send him the second the, to Indiana for two seconds when they had Josh Hart? Once they finally had what they viewed as a suitable backup for, they moved on <laughs> and then uh, delegated those minutes to DiVincenzo, which fits what Obi's role is, a corner three point shooter, you know? Just here's the thing, though, is because when you found that in Josh Hart, that just proves that how different what you needed off the bench was than in Obi. And so, like, you, I, I don't think those two decisions needed to be tethered together. Where it was, if you wanted to move Obi a little bit sooner, it didn't have to wait until you had the ideal backup four option. One last counterpoint in the playoffs when Julius hurt his ankle, game four against the Cavs. Obi played that entire fourth quarter because Julius was still figuring life out with this ankle. If you're in, a, if you're just in a world where you're putting the transaction a vacuum, I agree with you. They did not get him at his highest value point, and they didn't trade him at that point. They were still in the business of trying to win basketball games, and the Knicks were best option for backup power forward at the time was Obi Toppin in a role he's not suited to be in. I agree with you. Like they probably could have gotten more for Obi Toppin at a different point. They probably could just held on to Obi and like waited this year and see what happens. Like see if at the deadline this year, it made more sense. No, not after seeing it would have. No, I'm just, my point is like, 
the fact that they've when he's been on the court like the rj units that they've been able to get to i don't know that ob would have allowed those to happen so send him to indiana for no picks at that point if it means that we get to see these lineups this yeah. season that we got yeah. to say i look i like Obi finally breaking out against the Sixers was was cool to see, and I think that was the moment that the Indiana thing kind of became real to me. Like I thought they were scoring these points against really poor defenses and doing what the the, the trick that net rating and offensive rating does with us each year. It's like yeah, they're they're beating up on bad teams, and then when they play the good teams, they are kind of kind of stifled. And you looked at what they did to Philly, and I was like, oh okay. That's a little different. That's a that's Joel Embiid. That's a decent enough defense. Which is why I'm curious when they play a Minnesota or the Celtics, which they did play the Celtics without Halliburton and lost by a hundred thousand. But like, I'm curious to see when this, like, when they play the Knicks. I'm curious what what they do when the rim is just un, unavailable. I do think just the space that they create, so the different angles at which you can go and attack, even teams that are able to really protect or dissuade looks at the rim well. That's something that Obi never would have had in you because he's still not hitting his threes or taking enough of them nope. by volume. Like that's a thing that's still happening in Indiana. The difference is just that it's not just giving him the freedom to roam. It's also giving him the room to like actually roam in the half court. The Knicks just aren't built that way. And so it's just, yeah. I think that's why there's a mutual appreciation where he's in a better situation and the Knicks just, you, I, the discourse around Julius Randle is so divisive, but you can't, Obi was never good enough to justify, well, this is the reason we need to move on from Julius Randle. Like that was just, that never could have been a thing. And so I find it easy to very much, yeah, we can disagree on, I might've moved him a little bit sooner. Maybe the offers weren't that much better. Maybe it was like a top 21st. And at that point it's eh, whatever. Um, but just the fact that he's in a better situation, you do still have your depth. It's not like you totally, uh, obliterated your your backup four options and as you said you did wait until josh hart was there so there's just a i don't know it's not a both sides one trade but i think it's easy to look at it and understand the process of events and just be happy that okay obi has found his fit i also i wonder if we went behind the scenes which we'll never get to see because of it's the knicks um if there was like a push and pull in the little leon rose brain trust of julius all NBA Julius versus the follow the year after he won all and he won most improved player. And if it was like, we need to see that this Julius thing is real. Right. That's know? a good point. Yeah. Like, like, like if we're, we, there may have been a version where it's like, okay, this 20, this first year of Jalen Brunson is kind of a wait and see for Julius too. And then when he returned to all NBA levels, that's when, you know, they were like, okay, yeah. now we can, now we can start to move well, on. from If you topic. really want to get mad, and this is something I'm not still mad at, but it was because I'm so often wrong that the fact that I was right, I so badly wanted the Knicks to take Halliburton in, Halliburton that draft. in the draft. Yeah. That, yeah. You go ahead and doing that rather than what Obi's doing in Indiana. Which again, I had no idea what um, Julius Randle was going to be that season on draft night. When the Knicks got Obi, there was a lot of like a oh, local kid from the from New York. Uh, he's he's Amari 2.0. There Julius Randall on the trade block. Here we go, and we're gonna win twelve games. Randall goes out and wins Most Improved Player, and they're the four seed. And it's like, oh, so this is awkward. So I I always wonder behind the scenes, like if they thought that 
Obi was going there to be the point, the powerful over the future, and Julius Randle just became an All NBA player as a result. I agree. There should be a mutual appreciation where we can enjoy both what this Knicks team is post Obi and what Obi Toppin has become in Indiana, despite it being for a bitter rival. The, I agree with you. The, the Pacers show has been fun to watch. I'm very curious what happens when they have to play defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's go to the negative. Like, what is one early thing that has stood out to you that is in a negative way, something that has been disappointing, that has regressed. If you want to make this an anti-Clippers conversation, we can. I've I've been, I, I was bullish on when it when they first made the trade, and I was like, all right, I think this will work out because it's the it's the the small ball rockets on steroids. But what it's looked like so far is like, oh, you know, you know what you might need out there a rebounder. So what what about what do you think? Um, I real I mean, the Clippers are a disappointment, but I still think they kind of figure it out. And Russ volunteering to come off the bench is a legitimate big deal. And it's mm-hmm. also, you know, I, we don't need to pile on the Clippers. It's a, it's a disaster right now. I think they showed some progress in that game against the the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. The except the caveat being, well, the Nuggets didn't have Jamal Murray, and like they couldn't figure out how to get to their best lineups to defend Jokic. And even when they did, they went away from them. Um, the Clippers have been a disappointment, but there's still a chance that they just figure it out. I think a lot of people look at Phoenix's availability. Bradley Beal going to be out another three weeks. If I would have told you in, in August when James Harden was still a sixer, that by Christmas, the Clippers would have played more minutes with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and James Harden than the Suns played with Beal, Durant, and Booker, you probably would have thought I was bonkers. Kevin Durant went to Phoenix and they recreated the Nets. They're just never going to play their three best players together. And we're all going to be like, yeah, but if they play together, it'll look great. Yeah. When are they going to play together? It's the it's, exact same situation. I'm still going to, this is the, I, so we were talking about this on our podcast that goes live on Saturday, um, that you need Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, that if Bradley Beal is injured, it's, it's kind of okay. And I think they'll be fine. But like the Devin Booker absence. And now that he's back now is when I'll start to evaluate them even without Beal more thoroughly. The the actual disappointment for me and anyone who's listened to me over the past couple of years knows that I can't quit the Pelicans. I'm very oh. close to quitting the Pelicans. When you their their issues have always been being able to stay healthy. It's never been the ability. Now all of a sudden it's both because you're still not healthy. CJ's out, Jose Alvarado's out, Trey Murphy's out, Herb Jones missed some time, Brandon Ingram missed some time. Did I say Larry Nance yet? Like the injuries just go up and up and up. However, the minutes with their best players on the court should still be good. 
they are getting trucked when Zion and Brandon Ingram play together. And it's not that they're getting torched by unlucky opponent three-point shooting either. It's Shemit Dua had wrote about this at in the know. The ball is sticking with Ingram to the point where like Zion doesn't really know what to do. And he kind of threw shade. I don't know if you saw his comments a few days ago where it was, he's trying to fit in and, and figure it out. And it's, uh, he is quite literally the future of your franchise and you've gotten away from the point Zion stuff. Now, he's definitely not as explosive as he's been in years past. You're talking he's about still, the real quick. You're talking about the comments where he was like, I need to, I'm still trying to buy in or figuring out if I want to buy in. Right. It was that, but it was more yeah. of like, he didn't kind of understand what he was buying into. And that's a, oh, whether wow. you want to criticize Zion for that, the fact that he doesn't necessarily understand what he's buying into is a massive criticism of the organization. And to be losing the minutes those two play together. Both of them are also the Pelicans are losing the minutes in which one of them plays without the other. And they're actually a net positive when both of them are off the floor. And so again, the injuries contribute to this, but guess what? Injuries are the Pelicans default. And I don't care how like the defensive fundamentals can still be there. The offense is just too broken for long stretches. And I don't know what the answer is for them. They have the assets to go and make a trade. But if you're going to be one dealing with the health issues and two, like, what are you doing with Zion right now? If you're committed to playing him as kind of your point thingamabob, um, why is Brandon Ingram getting just kind of the, the agency that he is, or why is he playing the way that he is? And he's too talented to just be like, it, there's, there's very, it'd be very difficult to trade Brandon Ingram and theoretically get better on paper. Because even if you attach picks to him, like what is the team that is sending you the player that wants Brandon Ingram when he's going to be making a ton more money soon, even though he's relatively young, that's going to elevate you to the next level. And so I don't, these next like month worth of games or so for them are going to be huge because there's been not as many highs as there should be, even when you measure it against the injuries that they've been dealing with. So first of all, I'm on cleaning the glass and I, I wanted to make sure I didn't miss that. They added thingamabob as a positional designation. So they didn't, not yet. So wow. you're, you're up, uh, can we email Ben? Was that Ben Glass? Does that's that or Ben Glass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll make sure that um, we give you uh, uh, inventor credit on that for for that uh, uh, Dan for Valley special of positional designation of Thingamabob. Um, I'm staring at this lineup data now. They're minus seven with Zion and Ingram on. They're minus 10 with Zion on Ingram off. They're minus 12 with Ingram on Zion off and plus three with both of them off the floor. That is, I didn't notice that yet. I talked to Mason Ginsburg a couple weeks ago when the Knicks played the Pelicans and they were off to a, a one and start. So I was like, oh, things are looking up and things have not gone uh, that way since then. It was obviously pre CJ McCollum injury. Uh man, I don't want to talk the fabric that should make everything fall apart though is the thing. Is like the units with him yeah. and Herb and then spacing were killer. And like you had Herb was Herb Jones was really turned a corner because he had more space to work and they were putting him on ball. Like he ran like there was this one in like back to back possessions. I think I was watching he ran like a pick and roll. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that ever from him. And those were killer, but like you can't run your offense the same way when both Zion and Ingram are available. And it just feels like there is warring functionalities at play in New Orleans right now might be the best way for me to frame it. 
I don't want to talk about transactions yet with them because I feel like they're a team that gets thrown into trade machine a ton, whether it be it be uncertainty with either Brandon Ingram with his looming free agency or Zion and his. I mean, it feels like since he's been drafted, it's been like, how can he go to the Knicks? And I don't know if the Knicks want him at this point. I don't know if that's an upgrade because of the availability concerns from like him to Julius Randle. Um, however, it does seem like they're a team that is going to do this one more season and then wholesale changes are going to have to be made. Yeah. And I think, look, right now, the saving grace is if you go back and look at the data from last year, they killed opponents when mm-hmm. Zion and Ingram were on the court. And it's like the recipe is still sort of there. But if you don't trust Zion to be, I guess, as explosive or you don't want to put the ball in his hands as often, that just does change the context of what's happening. And so they're just a team I'm watching because something aside from injuries just feels off there. Any other team stands out to you as a disappointment? Yeah. Yeah. I go for my preseason picks. Like the bucks defense is a thing, but I'm not, I would like to slightly push back on that. Just yeah, go ahead. Ever since they've switched Brooke back to a drop, they're like fifth. Okay. And like they're the best rim protecting team in the league. I think their issue is going to be, which I do agree with you on with this, would be they've been weird in transition. Like they've even gotten better in the half court where, yeah, Damian Lillard still gets behind plays, but um, playing Andre Jackson a little bit more, I think has helped their defense. We'll see how losing Jay Crowder hurts. It's too easy to get out in transition on them. Teams get behind their guards, Malik Beasley, Dame a lot, even Giannis a little bit. When he takes shots that are outside of the restricted area, he's like kind of watching them. And then like when he's missing his three pointers so badly, like teams are able to run off of that. And so that's one thing I'm watching with them. But I think they're, I've been surprised at how hard people have been where they think that it's sort of doomsday there. And it's, oh, they're so thin. And when will Chris Middleton play more minutes? And it's, we have these same questions about every contender except the Nuggets essentially right now. Yeah, I, the only pushback I'll give to your pushback, sir, is there's some there's a hint of who they're playing, like some opponent luck in that some of the ha- some of the offenses that they're playing, like what started. Like I get it what you're saying with Brooke going back to a drop and them leaning back into their rim protection that started in the tournament game against the Knicks where Julia RJ was out and Julius Randle, my goodness, might have had the might have gone to his official low in New York. Um with with how bad he was that game and they were just the the way they were at the rim they were playing a Knicks team that just could not buy a basket and, and like it was a night that Jalen Brunson had 45 points and the Knicks had like 105 so like that started it then you have these really rough half court offenses in Chicago and um Toronto and uh, uh Orlando and the one game that sticks out in that stretch that they lost was Indiana. So I want like I do agree with you I never thought that there were going to be bottom 5 in defense and like the small sample size was was nothing to fully buy into as this is like this, this is the Bucks are in trouble they got rid of their defense so that way they can get Dame. I do have a question long term about their point of attack. Because I just don't know what the, what they're going to do on the perimeter in the playoffs when you have to face these teams that have guys on the wing that, yes, fine, the rim has been taken away. What are you doing with Jason Tatum? I do. I think Marjon Bochamp or Andre Jackson could end up being an answer. I don't. I agree with you in the sense that you don't want them to be the answer in the playoffs. And so that's, that's the thing. They're going to have to be on the floor for important minutes. Then can they be, you know, I know like the game, the Knicks played against them. Bochamp hit like five threes and it was like, oh, okay. If that version right. exists, fine. Right, right. You know, 
Yeah, look, it's a fair question to have with them, and they don't have the assets to just go make a move. They might be able to reacquire like Javon Carter, who they let walk in free agency when the Bulls tear it down. I wonder if they have enough to get Io DeSoon. Everyone wants them to get Alex Caruso. They just don't have enough. They don't have a first-round pick to trade, and I don't think Marjon does it plus salary. Maybe you saw Io that DeSoon. tweet, by the way? You saw that? the the I forget if it was Haynes or whoever it was that brought up Caruso to the Bucks and how like Caruso would be a great addition to that team was whoever the source was. And I was like, that applies to 29 teams, man. Like Alex Caruso would be, would fit on literally every team, right? I just wonder like, yeah. And it's, it's a, it rings hollow when it's a team that doesn't have the assets to get him. We're sort of like, Oh, the Lakers would like to acquire Zach Levine. It's like, okay, cool. With what? And they're, they, they do and have the salary and the clutch connection. I agree with you. The assets yeah, are not like, what you, you know, want. They don't want to trade Austin Reeves and they can only give up one. First round pick. <laughs> yeah. like, right, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, and really quickly, another sort of disappointment. And yeah, please, he's, he's played a little bit better over the past couple games. Uh, Josh Giddy just has me uncomfortable right mm. now. He did such a good job of kind of fitting into the larger picture of what Oklahoma city was doing last year. He's shooting about 20% on catch and shoot threes this year, about 33% on floaters. The thunder have been more inclined to let J dub wing Jalen Williams run units without Shea and Giddy than to let Giddy run units without Shea and J dub, which I think is just weird. Um, Giddy's two point percentage is falling off a cliff without Shea. And so the fact that defenses are able to ignore him to the extent that he literally needs the gravity of both Shea and, and Holmgren on the court at the same time to be kind of a scoring threat is just something I'm monitoring. And it's not, look, I don't mean to make this transactions, 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 but like he's going to be extension eligible this summer. And so it's, yeah. a, it's a very real with case and Wallace, there playing well as a rookie. It's a very real thing that they kind of have to like monitor and, and look at. And the other thing I will be watching, I know that opponents have burned them from three and the sample size isn't huge because of all the time, but the Cleveland starting five has a very, like they've been bad mm -hmm. defensively and Jared Allen hasn't looked the same at points. Um, again, a lot of it's opponent three point shooting and also Darius Garland's off to a slow shooting start himself. I think that normalizes. He's at like 27% on wide open threes or whatever it is. Uh, that is just something I'm watching because Cavs fans don't like to talk about this and I get it because it's the lazy, you know, we're not going too in depth here, but you know, the dual big stuff matters offensively for Evan Mobley. They want him to do a lot of stuff in the center of the floor. That's not available when Jared Allen's on the court. And so like, if that defense isn't elite caps lock, bold text, italics elite, when those two are uh, like in that starting five, um, it's something just to, just a question. I think that one is more likely to normalize than my Josh Giddy concern though. <laughs> Well, so I, I wonder with the Cleveland thing. So the Knicks, when they played this weird back-to-back -back five games into the season against the Cavs, the Cavs didn't have Allen for either one, and they only had Levert for one of them. And it was like, you're playing a, a beat-up Cavs team. It's funny, because of what happened in the playoffs last year, Evan Mobley went into that back-to-back -back thinking, oh, we, we owe them some payback. And then Mitchell Robinson just kind of picked up where he left off. And it was it was unfortunate for Mobley, who I have high projections for that you still looked like you were not able to physically match up against this new version of Mitchell Robinson. That's just like Dennis Rodman plus Tim Duncan uh, when it comes to the rebounds. Um, looking at their lineup data, what I wish I would have gotten a chance to talk to Justin about from the chase down is like they made the switch from Okoro to Max Struess in the starting five. And the drop off in defense to have a respectable shooter there 
Um, I mean, their offense has gone up, but their defense is really what carried them last year. This team was second in net rating last year. And I wonder if that concession is a little bit more drastic. Now, like you said, the the transactional stuff and the Mitchell thing hovering over this, I wonder how much anxiety that's adding. But man, the the early sample size of the Cavs and like I had them finishing third in the conference. Philly might might change that, and I I'm I'm waiting for the the bump to eventually show up for them. Now maybe they get healthy and that changes everything. But like, at what point should the panic meter start with with the Cavs? I can't. If they probably deserve another month at least, just because of how small the sample size is when when everyone's available. And like, look, that lineup that I was talking about, they're still winning those minutes it's just that the the defense is not as um, which lineup are you talking about there isn't the Struess lineup was a net plus on the season i thought nah, I minus it. minus two point ha- point two at the moment All right, so the, maybe, the, maybe the that's Garland, but, that, but like that's that's how small the sample size is 125 possessions you know yeah and so i'm just i would expect that i i would expect them to be fine uh but it's still something that's like oh okay well this is this is sort of weird and if one of these things don't turn where it's Oh, does Darius Garland start shooting better? Um, does the does the dual big minutes get better defensively? Like, are opponents still going to be hitting threes at a pretty high clip? Like, if one of those things just don't start to sort of shift, then it's, oh, okay, what's happening? Because they've had a lot of... Levert's been good. Isaac Okoro's been good. Sometimes there's too much Donovan Mitchell, but he's been good. And also, their offense is... Like, it's faster than last season, which makes them more dangerous. So I look at those, I, I'm kind of clinging to those bright spots and even some of the Mobley without Allen units, not maybe the ones that he was, they were rolling out when Allen wasn't starting, but it feels like there's a pathway to them to kill some of the opposing, like opposing teams when you're going to run those Mobley plus like bench and one or two starter lineups that don't have Allen. Speaking of offenses that look faster this year, I don't know if you agree, but this Knicks offense has looked a hint better. There's not as much. It's still the same amount of isolation. There's a hint more ball movement, um, especially with RJ on the floor. This is where I want to get your thoughts on the basketball team that I cover full time and the basketball team of your childhood, Dan, that you once had an affection for but start before you started calling for them to fire the head coach in, oh, in your day job. <laughs> Wondering how long it's going to take for that to come up. <laughs> Listen, it's going to come up every single time we talk, Dan. Uh, your thoughts on the Knicks and this early start. What are you buying? What are you waiting to see if you want to buy in, whether it be Mitch on the offensive boards or this this revelation of RJ Barrett or even like the disappointing ones with, with Jalen Brunson like taking a step back from unreal in in the from two point range to just kind of average from two point range or this this back and forth Julius season that we've had. Yeah. The, so the things I'll be buying with them, I'm I'm bought in to the defense for the most part. Uh, the stuff that Mitchell Robinson is doing is absolutely incredible. And I know like when you dig into some of the individual rim, num- rim numbers, the data is wonky and it just doesn't match anything that you're seeing because he's covering so much ground from the outside in for the Knicks simultaneously. And it's just kind of everywhere. And there's a real deterrence to what he's doing. We're like, okay, opponents are kind of shooting good or well against him at the rim. But a lot of that stuff can happen when it's like, oh, they're coming in from the corners and the Knicks were a little bit late on their rotations. The looks that he is just erasing before they ever happen is mind-blowing to me. You mentioned the offensive, the stuff he's doing on the offensive glass. It feels like he's getting, this is anecdotal. It feels like he's just getting to more 50-50 balls than I've ever seen in my entire life. Hmm. And the ability for him to just sort of recover and get to the basket on the offensive end after a shot goes up, 
it helps your defense because if he's getting the offensive rebound and he's either going back up with it and scoring or he's passing it to someone who hits a wide open jumper or or is cutting, it allows you to get your defense set. And I feel like that's an element that we kind of undersell is like him being on the offensive glass increases your efficiency on the offensive end, which then allow which then allows you to get your defense set, which should improve the state of your defense. He is, I haven't gone through my all defensive teams, but he's probably been one of the 10 best defenders in basketball so far. Um, I and agree. I, 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 it's tough because of the Embiid and it's positional and the Embiid go bear hold that that, and then obviously Brooke Lopez hold that exists. It's going to be tough for Mitch to get there, but I agree. He's, he's in the conversation for what he's been this year so far. That, and then getting rid of positions helps bigs more than anyone, including so that's official. The defense, yeah. all defense teams as well are in position. Oh, so Mitch has a shot then. Okay. Yeah, we when we were doing our awards podcast, we like looked into it to make sure. So we might have been given the wrong information and been wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure this is the year that all defense is nope. positional positionless. Per, per Bleacher Report, Dan Valley reports that aggregated. It is, what's up? Well, I mean, it was reported. Aggregated, yes. We, yes just, aggregated. we just couldn't find it. So yeah, I'm buying into him. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm buying into RJ Barrett's turn. Um, there are when you just kind of look at his efficiency from the floor, it doesn't wow you aside from three, but he's just gotten so much better as a decision maker. And the thing that I look to the most, yeah, there's the three point percentage for sure. Like that is huge. It opens up the floor, but like he is so much smarter on his drives when it's, Oh, let's get defenders on my hip or the passes that he's going to throw off of those drives. And when you dig into the data on how much more effective those passes are off these drives, it's absolutely huge. And now we're kind of back to it being okay when he's playing independent of the starters. This is super fun. That's how you sort of inject even more pace into an offense that look, the the ball might be moving faster. They might be playing a little bit faster. They're still 30th in average offensive possession time, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so like giving that injecting that pace with the the RJ plus lots of bench players units has been great. And I I am still very curious to see like can this be someone who develops a more efficient in-between game? Or if you're going to lower your volume at the rim like he's done, can you be a more efficient finisher than being like shooting like 60 or 61%? And a lot of that is, I do still think it's some spacing concerns around him at times, but a lot of the other stuff is his takeoff points around the basket can be super weird. But he is just so much more of a cerebral player this year. And he just feels at both ends really more complimentary, kind of like, what was that year two? When we were just all really excited about how complimentary he was being, I think that was the second year. Um, the year he shot forty from three in the open gym. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, like it feels you have more like that feeling, but because of the circumstances under which it's coming, where it's oh, he's still playing a bunch with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson this time, but then he's like has some independent units. It feels not just that it's more sustainable, but it feels more important than we've ever than than it's ever felt to me. The, the point I made yesterday on a on a pregame pod. Because I'm, I'm getting, I'm just flat out going to get asked about his shooting while it, he's shooting fifty percent from three. Um, I'm just, this is like, is this a thing now? And his shot looks better from my whatever untrained eye about whether shots look better or not. Like I'm not, I'm not wincing on it. RJ threes. I'm now at the point as a fan expecting them to go in. So like we'll see how when the regression comes, how far it regresses. But you're right on the decision making. And the the point I made yesterday was that this is the first year he's really gone from season to season with continuity in role where year one, it was I'm with Julius and all these other power forwards, my rookie year. And I have no idea when I'm going to have an unimpeded path to the rim year two. He was just a corner three point shooter and they ran the offense through Julius and Derek Rose and 
other people and like he got his 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 cuts and his drives to the rim and then year three with whatever was going on with Julius and the uncertainty with the team he got a 30 usage a second half of that year and you, you didn't know if this was like to a thing with RJ or if he was you know just boosting his trade value and then last year his worst year as a pro so far he was like caught in this middle ground of like I run the second unit but quickly taking a leap and then I'm next to Julius but it's really Jalen Brunson's team and this year he's actually settled into like third right. best guy that takes over as the second guy from time to time and you know, he runs a second unit that he now has some chemistry with. And these two lineups that they have with RJ on the floor, they're starters. These are plus 17. They're bench. They're plus seven. And everything's a positive when RJ Barrett's factored in. Yeah. The only thing that I'm like wondering about when I watch him, if it will sustain, like I'm not sold. I I, I actually kind of am sold on the three point efficiency. Not this high not 50%. He's not right. going to yeah. be Doug McDermott. You're right. Right. Um, I'm, he's, he's no Dylan Brooks, you know, like he's not, no, gonna shoot no, he's going to, yeah, he's not going to uh, exactly, exactly. It's so I think right now, the last time I checked and he didn't play against the Hawks, he was eight of 15 on floaters. And it's like, he, like, that's like a real tool in his belt. And can that efficiency sustain? Because it turns him into like a multi-level scorer in a way that, when you look at kind of the pull-up numbers on a lot of his jumpers, like that's not like that's not there yet. It may never be at a, at a high enough clip to trust him to do that. And when you know that he's never going to be that type of off the dribble shooter from beyond the arc anyway, I wouldn't think like to have that just sort of as a weapon makes him that much harder to defend. And then look, maybe it ends up with if he's knocking down that consistently in addition to the the passing improvement that we've seen and just like getting better at having defenders on his hip. Do we see his free throw attempt rate at some point just absolutely explode? And that's just another way for him to get uh, some easy points, especially if he can shoot better than 71% at the foul line. Yeah, I think you, as far as the other stuff that I mentioned about the Knicks, I think you kind of mentioned the Julius of it all. That I'm glad you are on the record on this pod saying like Julius Randle is a good basketball player. That's what we should evaluate him as. There are questions come playoffs that he's going to eventually have to answer. But like you win a lot of regular season games with a guy as your first or second option or high usage option. That probably means you're a good basketball player. Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, it was kind of at the start of the season. It felt like there were moments where his process was a lot better. Then he would completely get away from it. Now it feels like over the past two or three games or whatever that he's gotten a little bit better. I did not see their most recent game against the Hawks, but like the previous two, it just felt like, so even when the shots weren't going in, like this wasn't someone who was hijacking the offense or taking these inexplicable shots. And like when he is, making smart decisions as a passer where it's, he's reacting to the double teams or even beating them sometimes with his playmaking. Um, that's a fully optimized version of the Knicks, even when he's not super efficient on the offensive end. I think, you know, if you want to be concerned about anything, it's he, his three point volume last year was so important to what they were doing. And so it's, I'm seeing right now he went three of five against the Hawks. That's great. It's almost more important to me that he took eight, three pointers against the, the Celtics, um, the Celtics because yeah. it's like, that volume helps open up the floor and the Knicks do need that as part of their half court offense in part, because and I'm assuming we're going to talk about him in a second of the struggles that Jalen Brunson is facing right now, where there are times where he has not looked the same when he's getting inside the arc, but I will blame basically everyone else other than Jalen Brunson for like the difficulty of some of the looks he's need to take where the biggest difference is he's not hitting some of the ridiculously tough shots he was last year. He is shooting 36% on contested and heavily contested twos. 
he was shooting like 47, 48%. What is he at the rim? Do you have it near you? What is he at the rim? Because that was the thing that stood out in the the Hawks game most recently that he just like, it wasn't even rim protection like that that Clint Capella was deterring shots or whoever was guarding him was making the shots difficult. He just was missing bunnies at the rim that he, like you said, was making last season. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, he's shooting 47% at the rim. Right, so there's that regression that I think a lot of Knicks fans are waiting for that once the rim shots start to fall. It, I'm, I'm saying he feels like if I have the numbers in front of me, why don't I just toggle to the window that can confirm it? Yeah. And look, yeah. I was about to say, it feels like he's getting to the rim a lot less. He's getting to the rim a lot. Like 21% of his shots came at the rim last year. That's not a lot to begin with down to 16 this year. I do think a lot of that though has to do with the way that defenses are able to guard the Knicks and Barrett playing the way that he has and Julius Randall hiking up some of the volume or the passing. I think that can improve it. And the fact that Jalen Brunson has still been like, some of the threes he's hitting this year, like those are really tough looks. And he's almost, I wonder if that's why he's not getting to the basket as much. He's like, these shots aren't going in. I have to work so hard from here. I'm going to fire this one up off the dribble. Um, That's something I'm watching where I would just bank on Jalen Brunson is going to be a more efficient basketball player by year's end inside the arc. But it is, you know, this late into the season, it's kind of like, all right, I'm a little bit uneasy because the Knicks are, the best version of the Knicks is going to include one or both of Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson being a ridiculous shot maker inside yeah. the arc. Yeah. And I look, I think the two point regression to the mean is coming. I think he just set a ridiculous standard for himself last year that we're coming to expect not too much of him, but like we're cons- like any concerns we have are like, Oh no, he's, he's averaging, you know, this inside the arc this early in the season. <clears throat> I do think they've made an effort to play him off ball more, which with RJ being what he is so far this year and looking to pass on his drives more and hit the weak side open three-point shooter, that's been Jalen Brunson a lot of times. And that's where like this, this play in the, the most recent game for the Knicks that Mitchell Robinson um, makes this huge offensive rebound and it's a catch and shoot for Jalen Brunson. Later on in the in the fourth quarter, it's another catch and shoot in the corner for Jalen Brunson where he's playing off ball rather than um, you know him having to depend on pull-up threes like he did last year so much. Yeah, I mean, and that's like, that's the fact that he's fully, you know, there were questions about whether he could do stuff like that earlier on in Dallas to where do you trust mm-hmm. him to hit 45 and a half percent of his catch and shoot threes all season. I'd probably bet on that number pulling back a little bit, a little, he's a, yeah. he's a viable threat um, as like in that type of role. So viable threat. And it allows you to play quickly, like then quickly can run the offense and be a primary ball handler. And you have a 45% three point shooter off the ball. So, um, you know, I look, I'm very happy with where like the only thing that's frustrated me so far in Knicks land is availability like RJ get well soon. Like shout out to let's pump in full of them. You know, yeah, exactly. Whatever it takes to get this migraine gone. The four games RJ have water, water and bear. That's what I'm recommending. Water and bear. Oh, okay. I thought I heard bear, like a bear, like the animal. Wait, so maybe that, maybe that's what I'll fix. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's what the three essentials. I I know their record is not super impressive, but when you just dig into where they rank in offense and defense. And the bigger thing is, I don't know what their strength of schedule has been, but it had to be it's one brutal. of like the seven or eight hardest in the league. So far. And so to come out of that above 500, when you've been dealing with this level of Jalen Brunson, this level of Julius Randall for a lot of the season, that's like, that's actually a pretty good place to be in. Like you're not, you very, not 
I won't, this is an extreme, but, and they're missing a more important player, but look at what is happening to the Grizzlies mm-hmm. or even look at what's happening to, yeah, we have faith that the Suns are going to rebound. You can't give up ground too quickly early on. And like the Grizzlies, their season's just over mm-hmm. already. And again, more injuries, jaws, not there, yada, yada, yada. But the Knicks, like navigating some struggles from the collective against a difficult schedule, even though they weren't playing some of the teams that were also not at full strength. I count that as an absolute win for this team. Listen, I echo my, my brother, Jonathan Macri, that was like, I'll take five and five through the first 10. And I, I do have a bit of higher projection for the next nine. Like we're basically trying to get to the, to the end season tournament in one, in one piece. But like we're doing this podcast. Like I switched to an all things NBA format for this episode because this is the fourth back-to-back that the Knicks have played in their first 12 games this season or first 14 games this season. It's actually pretty ridiculous that they're already playing this many back to this many games in this short amount of time. They've played the Celtics twice. They've already played the Bucks. They've played the Cavaliers twice. They, 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 played some pretty good teams so far and to your point about strength of schedule the data is out there that their schedule gets lighter and we'll see what these two games well, against teams they're better than should should be this weekend you know that's what i'm gonna say their schedule gets a little bit easier because that's the effect of playing the hornets twice the wizards and the pistons before november closes yes. out so listen i'll take it when we start off the season and the first five are uh, Boston and then the Hawks on the road, a back to back in New Orleans the next night, then the back to back in Cleveland and then Milwaukee. And then the, they get a respite and they play the new look Clippers. Like there was a stretch where I wondered if just every game the Knicks weren't going to be favored going into this year. Honestly, playing the new look Clippers is probably a pretty good pull at this point. We didn't point. know that at the time though, Dan. <laughs> going into that game, I was like, oh, great. We have to go back home and we get to play this, this Clippers that just added a Hall of Famer. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Last thing before we get out of here, I've been doing the thing where I do a route mush. Mount Rushmore of rivals here on the pregame pod. You're obviously not, you don't have a, a team that you cover specifically. So what I'll get is your Mount Rushmore of league pass teams. What are the four teams you look forward to the most? I think I already know that the Pacers are on this, but the four teams that you're like, oh, I, I, I'm circling this on the calendar because these four teams are playing. I'm going to not include the Knicks here for any Knicks fans that get mad in part That's because fine. this is a Knicks podcast. And so they've been talked about enough. The Pacers, for sure, mm-hmm. have probably been the most entertaining watch this year. Uh, no. So I'm going to rank them, too. Nuggets, one. Okay. Still. Pacers, two. Oklahoma City, three. Hmm. It's probably too early 
is probably honestly Wolves four. Okay. Uh, the Kings though, De'Aaron Fox has missed too much time, but like the De'Aaron Fox games are riveting. If like if you haven't checked out the Kings just yet, and they are when he's not on the floor, it's the opposite of riveting. So we'll go with we'll go with Minnesota. So Minnesota at four, OKC at three, Pacers at two, uh, Denver Nuggets at one. So two ends of the spectrum that we didn't talk about. Are you buying the Dallas start to the season? We'll start there. Yes, but it still feels like their Achilles heel will be their playoff undoing, which is just sort of the defense. And when they cater towards too much of it, like Derek Jones Jr. has been really good for them. Their starting lineup, though, is actually a net negative mm-hmm. on the season. And a lot of that, again, fluky shooting from opponents, yada, yada, yada. They need to go out there and find like kind of a another wing who is not as offensively limited, even though Derek Jones Jr. has been good for them. And I'm just curious to see, okay, they're relying on Derek Lively a lot, and he's been great. He's been great for them. What happens if he hits a rookie wall, as we tend to see with a lot of the the kids? So I buy it, but like the defense is still not good enough for me to be, well, they're at the same time kind of who we thought they are. I will say one of the most pleasant early season trends, Luca not complaining as mm-hmm. much, and he's played better defense. There you go. And then the other thing, the team with the longest winning streak of the NBA are the hated Miami Heat. Um, they have not won any of these games by double figures, and they've been playing the bottom of the league throughout this winning streak. Are they just going to do this to us again, where they just kind of win every close game that exists? And even when, even if they end up with like 41 wins, it's like, yeah, but every game that you're going to have to beat them by is by five or six points. Yeah, I just default towards... Uh, it, there's alien stuff going on in mm-hmm. in Miami. I don't trust them when I look at them on paper, but it's just Jimmy Butler starts the season injured, <clears> looks <throat> terrible, start like shooting 50% from three now. Bam out of bio is definitely level, leveled up. They have Kayla Martin back. They're kind of doing it again where it's they're finding guys to contribute with Hayward Highsmith and um, Jaime Hawkins has been pretty good for them, even though he's not hitting his threes. Uh, Kyle Lowry's been super low usage, but he's hitting his threes. They just seem to figure it out. And so I look at them and I say, no, like this is not a real threat, but I have to default to being wrong about that because that we've now, what are we in year like 12 of this happening? Where it's just, they're going to find a way. And I do think the single biggest development for them though, might be the past two years. Bam Adebayo is really leveled up his offense. He has, he has, this team's been outscored this year. Well, not like point differential totally, but in per hundred possessions, they're 18th in that rating and it's a minus. And they, they're, they're just winning games. They won seven in a row. And I don't know if I double figures. lineup beta, but like Tyler Hero has been out right now. Caleb mm-hmm. Martin has played in two games. So they probably haven't had their best four man lineup ever, a uh, five man lineup, excuse me, ever on the court this season. So, it's, and you look and it's like, what were they at one point, one and four or something? And then you look up and they're like, oh, it's eight in a row later. They've just won games. So, I've given up on trying to understand or explain Miami. I look Knicks fans don't want to hear it because there's a there's a, a need and a desire to dismiss them. And I was ready to to dance on the grave at one and four, but I was like, I'm still going to be terrified when they're a 35 win 10 seed. And it's like, yeah, I still would probably pick them to win the East, you know. But <laughs> now they're at least going to be in the com. It seems like in the conversation. Yet it's still going to be the same conversation of yeah, they're. They're they're like a seven or eight seed. I'll probably pick them to win every playoff game that they play. I still push comes a shovel, probably marry the idea. Like they need a pretty significant acquisition um, to change, to like really be a, like, okay, they come out of the East and they're just going to get trucked by Denver again is what's going to happen. So I will die on that hill. And I also, I, I picked Milwaukee to come out of the East, but 
as someone who doubted the Celtics My more, <laughs> more so before the Drew Holiday trade. After uh, the Drew Holiday trade, I was like, they scare the shit out of me. And it's just even watching the Knicks try to defend them sometimes stresses me out as someone who tries to just be this like heartless observer. And I'll watch it and it, and it's not just the Knicks. It's like it stresses me. Their offense isn't even like special at yeah. a lot of points because the, the ball movement isn't there and they don't have the same type of playmaking, but they stretch you to the point of absolutely breaking you. And Christoph Porzingis is a much smarter player than he was two or three years ago. And it's if they're healthy, which is the caveat for every team, but you look at kind of the top of this roster, man, was I wrong about the Celtics? The the craziest thing about the Celtics for me, and like the Knicks have played them twice, so they've gotten two looks at this. One of them was without RJ, so you take with a grain of salt. But my goodness, they they have so many things that you have to take into account when you're defending them. And even like they they started pressing in the in the third quarter of the game the Knicks played on Monday. And the Knicks were getting into their offense with like 12 seconds on the shot clock. And it just led to these inefficient shots in the third quarter. And while you're a Knicks fan, you're like, why can't you be better? It's like, actually, just look across the aisle. Like the other team is pressing 11 games into the season. And they can because this is how many weapons that they have. And you you try to shut one thing down like, oh, Jalen Brown's having an off night. Tatum's having an off night. Chris Ops is missing. Oh, but there's Sam Hauser hitting like six threes. And you're kind of screwed. And look, there's 83-year-old Al Horford holding up in space. Again, and Mm -hmm. my biggest compliment to their offense, though, is that Mitchell Robinson needs to do peak Anthony Davis against the Warriors things to salvage a lot of defensive possessions because of just how, again, the word is just how far out the Celtics stretch you. And the fact that we saw him do him on some possessions is pretty, pretty big deal. But they are their their offense and the way the way it's spaced induces anxiety for me as a bystander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone said it in, a, in the post game the other night, like Mitchell Robinson is dominating every team in the NBA except one. Like against 28 other teams in the NBA, he's been a dominant force. But when he plays the Celtics, that's just like the one team that and you wonder, be- can he stay on the court? And it's because he needs to do so much. And honestly, what is the alternative? Like, because he has to stay on the court because what are you going to in that moment, you don't like, we know the Knicks are not going to go centerless. Like we just, no, we, they're not. Like, no. And Isaiah Hartenstein. Okay. Like he's not going to be much different for you. Like Mitchell Robinson is better than Isaiah Hart. Hot take. Mitchell Robinson is better take, on defense yeah. than Isaiah Hartenstein. So I, again, their, their offense is, and it, it all comes down to the floor balance because when you watch it, it's not, it's absurd shot making and just spacing and like smart, like kind of like the way Al Horford and Christoph Porzingis know how to work off the ball. And, you know, kind of like toggle and flip their screens. It's, I was, I was wrong. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm wrong all the time, but I was, I was pretty damn wrong about this Celtics. I think my, my biggest early season conclusion is that the Celtics are healthy. I think they're winning the title. That is the most unstoppable thing I've seen this year is that starting five. See, I, I, I'd be willing to go as far as they're going to win the East, but I like Denver is honestly is a, is just a, is a, annihilator of worlds and it's yeah, you're right that's actually i i give the celtics a nod because there's a defensive ceiling that they can get to that i i wonder if it can match what any dominant thing denver can do i should give the champs more credit than that i think we're getting a celtics celtics in the finals against denver but and that look that'd be a know, good test of denver's defense has been really good this year and a, like a huge part of that has been michael porter jr i mean Jokic has been better too but michael porter jr has improved a lot as a rebounder and defender. So I would love just like match up, but for, it doesn't have to be like 
if the Celtics and the Nuggets are fully healthy, I, I hope that when they face each other this year, that they go full bore in the regular season, because I do think those are pretty clearly the two best teams in the league. And there's a chance Milwaukee could sneak in there if they're healthy enough. Uh, but mm. they feel you mentioned your concerns about their defense. Then like Dame's been all over the place with his shooting too, so far. And look, that could change. And maybe in a small sample, I just, every answer for, Every everything that the Bucks could potentially do, the Celtics have an answer for. Yeah, and I don't know if the Bucks are able to respond with like, okay, well, we can respond and answer with this. You know, the the Celtics just that what they're doing to teams right now. And look, the Knicks. Like I said this on on the pregame pod with the with Jack Simone the other day about the the, the way you beat the Celtics early on is like hope they miss, like hope they miss their threes. Their three like near losses this year. They almost lost the Knicks game and they lost two games against the the Timberwolves and the um against the Sixers. Are their three worst three point per shoot three point performances this year? That's like the the games that they shoot 30 and under from three, you got a shot. If they're at 34, 35% from three, I just like good night, Irene. And that I think is where I'm I I'm successfully spooked by any illusions that like the Knicks could upset them in the playoffs. I do think the Knicks could get a game or two. And look, this could all be mute because RJ Barrett is going to continue to take this leap and they almost beat the Celtics with RJ and they didn't have RJ for the second one. So who knows? I'm I'm successfully uh, bought into what the Celtics can be and I will be rooting very hard against it because it's in my New York DNA. Um, As it should be. As it should be, exactly. Dan, as always, thank you for joining me. We went a little longer than I said we would, and I know you got to run. Before you go, tell the fine folks at home where they can find you and Hardwood Knox, specifically on the socials where you do, in my opinion, some of your best work. Yeah, uh, go check out Hardwood Knox. It's wherever you get your podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. We post on TikTok as well, at Hardwood Knox, and all, all the socials are at Hardwood Knox and we post these shorts where there are quizzes, where they're, you know, start bench cut these NBA signature moves. So it's look, we call it stat padding because we're not trying to hide what we're doing. We try to get a little creative with it. Like mm-hmm. which player would you clone and build a or do wh- which team wins five Lou Dortz or five Jordan Poole. So mm-hmm. that's the type of technical basketball analysis that we provide. But we strive to be the least insufferable national NBA podcast out there. And I think we do a pretty damn good job. So Go check us out. Again, Hardwood Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds, wherever you listen to any of your basketball content. I co-sign everything he said, both the quality of the podcast with Grant Hughes and how often I enjoy it. Like, I'm someone that tries to reach out to every single team to or every single a fan, of someone who covers every single team. And you I recognize... With the pregame pods that you this one notwithstanding because you're yeah. swarming it. But the pregame <laughs> shows that you do forever, that's just like... That's a special type of commitment and nuance. So Listen, I appreciate those. You know where I get a lot of my ideas for guests? They went on for the look ahead before the season at Hardwood Knox. I just go through your Rolodex and I'm like, oh, Dan from Valley had this person on. I can reach out to them. Uh, so it, it, it takes takes one inspiration to know another, you know. Um, well, Dan, I appreciate that. And thank you so much as usual for having me on. Of course, man. Welcome anytime. Once again, a big thank you to Dan for coming on today's pod. I cannot recommend Hardwood Knox enough, whether it's their NBA segments where they talk about the league at large. You can tell how informed he is about the entire NBA throughout the conversation we just had, as well as their stat batting segments, like you said, and the garbage time segments. Um, Dan's awesome. And I, 
again, I like talking to people that know what they're talking about. And you can tell that is that absolutely applies the Info Valley. The KFS Bump, head over and give their YouTube channel a subscribe, their podcast feed a five-star rating and a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you digged this episode, head to our podcast feed and give it a five-star rating and a review. I'll be back Monday morning with a preview of the Knicks matchup against the Timberwolves. But until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy your weekends. And I will speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.